Hello, everybody. Conrad Franz here from World War Now, joined as always by Dimitri Kalyagin. This is episode one of our premium subscribers only series. We haven't quite come up with a name for it yet. Maybe if you have some ideas, leave a comment or let us know. But this is episode one of our sort of not current events show. We're going to be talking about Orthodox tradition. A uh, little bit more history-related things, uh, perhaps more unknown facts from the last, you know, 500 years of Orthodox tradition, early history, maybe some biblical analysis every once in a while, lives of saints, that sort of thing. This first episode, of course, being a big one, we're going to be discussing some well-known, not yet canonized, holy people, people that by many in the Orthodox world are viewed as saints, but have not been officially glorified by the church. This is going to be a fantastic episode. We've got some great, interesting stuff. But yeah, this is going to be hopefully weekly. And for everyone that decides to upgrade to our paid subscription here on Substack, which we recommend everyone do, it really helps us out. You will get access to all of these, as well as likely some articles that come out that are subscriber-only. And we're also going to be sure to have some subscriber-only threads and discussions for everybody that is subscribed so that they can talk to each other, talk to us, and we'll really be sure to answer those. But with all that being said, we're going to dive into some of these very interesting holy people, most of them being from the past 50, 60 years in the Orthodox tradition. Uh, I think we wanted to talk about Yevgeny Rodionov first. Dmitry, do you want to let us know uh, who that is? Yeah, so one of the most notable, I suppose, uncanonized Orthodox Christian saints would be Yevgeny Rodionov. Now, he was a private in the new, freshly, I suppose, freshly minted Russian Federation's military after the fall of the Soviet Union. Now, if you know your history, the, of course, the Afghanistan war had already been completed, and the Russian Federation was, of course, uh, naturally affected by the dissolution of the Soviet Union. One of the earliest conflicts the Russian Federation had to become involved in was the Chechen campaigns. Some people refer to them as Chechen wars, but I think the term war would be somewhat inappropriate simply because Chechnya or the Ichkerian Muslim republics, as they called themselves, weren't really independent sovereign nations, but instead uh, would be kind of internal self-proclaimed nation states, which you know weren't weren't actually agreed upon by any international treaty so it would it would most most appropriately be referred to as a civil conflict of sorts now of course a lot of young russian troops were involved in this particular conflict and many of them being orthodox christians now yevgeny rozhyonov was a very young man uh, who, who of course was uh conscripted into the Russian military and actually sent to this to this conflict in Chechnya in the northern Caucasus mountains. Now, being an Orthodox Christian in those times, still not the most popular thing in the early 90s, but Yevgeny Rodionov nevertheless raised in the Orthodox faith, served very diligently in an Orthodox manner. Now, what transpired from this, naturally, if you recall, the Chechen, the Chechen conflicts were extremely violent and uh, didn't go well for the Russian Federation early on. A lot of Russian troops were captured as POWs. Many of them were subjected to torture, humiliation of the most perverse and grotesque sorts. I won't be mentioning exactly what was happening, but you could probably read up about it in depth elsewhere. But, and, and unfortunately, we've had Orthodox Christians such as Yevgeny Rozionov, who were actually captured by the Chechen extremists, the Ichkarians, and subjected to torture. Now, what's interesting is some of, as the Ichkarians were extremist Muslims following Salafi and Wahhabist doctrines, they, in order to, I suppose, bolster their own morale, would subject Christian soldiers, Christian Russians, to 
torture and try to get them to, uh, you know, uh, denounce and renounce Christ. Just as the Muslims did in Georgia, at least when the Persian Empire had wars with Georgia and when the Turks, of course, assaulted Byzantium or even going back to the early centuries when the Muslim conquest took over Egypt and parts of the Byzantine Empire. So this is something which, you know, the renunciation of Christ, as Conrad will emphasize, is, of course, something which Christians simply cannot do. It's, of course, called very simply apostasy, and it is a sin which Christians uh, need to avoid at all costs, even under the threat and the duress of torture and coercion of many sorts. And Yevgeny Rodionov is one of one such young man who is actually subjected to very intense torture and psychological manipulation by the Chechen extremists. Uh, you know, while he was a POW. No, it's um, he's widely venerated in a lot of parts of Russia, and unfortunately, for reasons we're going to get into a broader discussion on kind of the process of canonization and certain historical realities and general facts in the church about how how that occurs but unfortunately as we said these are people that have not yet been canonized but i believe he was asked directly and this is recounted by multiple eyewitnesses he was asked to remove the cross from around his neck and ultimately he refused and then his head was removed from his body and this was again this is all in a very at the time of russia i mean this was how putin people who know this this was how putin himself kind of cemented his his celebrity status and his his control over Russia was ultimately leading Russia out of this really, really bloody and bad conflict that in many ways, a lot of people were seeing as it could have been the collapse of the Russian Federation, which was a fledgling kind of, you know, post-Soviet state at that point. So this was, this was a hard place for all of the Russian people. And it, now that they've come out of that, it seems that with, we see in the, in the special military operation in Ukraine, we see the Chechens are now a, very integral part of the Russian Ministry of Defense, and it seemed to be a fully integrated into Russia. So in many ways, the sacrifice that a lot of these young men gave was something that really has, in our lifetimes now, people that weren't even that, you know, people that aren't even that old now were alive back then. And there's been a tangible benefit towards the people of Russia for the sacrifices that were made in those conflicts. Yeah, that's right. And Naturally, the issue with uh, Yevgeny Rodionov's um, canonization or lack thereof would be, of course, as me and Conrad will emphasize, it's the fact that the Russian Federation is, uh, in a lot of ways, a very multicultural, very multicultural state, and, and this, this multiculturalism is kind of inbuilt and ingrained into the social, into the social. Uh, you know, not just into the constitution, but also into how society perceives itself, especially after 1991, not in a Soviet fashion, but in a more liberal Western fashion. For example, uh, the Russian Empire, of course, as well as the Soviet Union, were always seen as multicultural nations, nations which had many different peoples of many different faiths. Now, that didn't prevent the Russian Empire, for example, uh, to, uh, in actually announcing that they were, uh, you know, strictly, not strictly, but that orthodoxy was its primary religion of the of this nation state and that nobody else would be of course uh you know kind of bullied or harassed for their faith now the, the russian federation avoids these sort of uh absolute ultimatum statements on exactly uh, you know which faith is the predominant one in the country and so you have these you have this uh consideration by the leaders of the nation including of course high-ranking clergymen that a certain peace needs to be held across the entirety of the russian federation which means Saints such as Yevgeny Rodionov would preferably not be canonized, at least not in anywhere in the near future. Now, you would say, well, why does it matter what the church does and what the state does? These two things are different. The church and state at the moment in Russia are unrelated. 
Well, they are unrelated, but in fact, at least legally speaking, they're not connected, but, but socially and culturally, they're incredibly linked. And we see this, of course, today in the special military operation in the Ukraine, how the, the, you know, the Russian government has finally allowed Orthodox priests to participate in the actual military operation itself. And you see the Orthodox symbology used on the on tanks. You see Orthodox Christian flags and such things. Now, Yevgeny Rozionov, of course, fighting against Muslim extremists in Chechnya presents a certain image of uh, an image of, you know, an Orthodox young man tortured against his faith by, you know, uh, tortured for his faith by extremists and actually not renouncing Christ. And in this particular saintly narrative, the, the, I suppose the antagonist would be a Muslim extremist. Now, the Russian Federation is, as Conrad will emphasize, is not exactly, uh, is not keen on setting, setting Muslim extremists and even people like Ichgarians, which frankly, they should be, you know, they should be seen as these extreme Wahhabist enemies of, of Russia. It's not particularly interested in actually presenting them as the main enemies, at least in the 90s of the Russian people, at least, and even of the Orthodox people, which is strange because they have caused so much damage to the Russian, not just the Russian Federation, but also to all these Christians and their livelihoods. And Yevgeny Rodionov is simply one of these venerated victims of theirs. Now, <laughs> It's, of course, me and Conrad are very adamant that Yevgeny Rodionov, and not just us, bishops and priests have spoken openly about this, that he needs to be canonized simply because he fits the categories of martyrdom that were presented and given to us from the earliest Christian centuries. His life essentially mirrors and is synonymous of many of the lives of the early martyrs during the Roman persecutions in the Roman Empire while it was still pagan prior to Constantine the Great. So this should be taken into consideration by the Russian church. And I believe, as Conrad mentioned, it should, it will only strengthen ties between the Russians and the, and the uh, moderate Chechens who today serve Russia. And even though they are Muslims, they also understand the sacrifice of Yevgeny Rodionov. I don't think these two things are necessarily at odds. Uh, wouldn't you agree, Conrad? No, I definitely agree. And I think, again, it's one of those things where, sure, there, there might be situations that in a civilizational matter may seem unwise that the church should, you know, consider the politics of something. But that is how, I, I believe that's the road to perdition. You know, you open that gate, and next thing you know, you've got all sorts of compromises that we can't be making. And another example of this, of course, is Father Daniel Sezoyev, who was martyred in 2009 very openly. A, a gunman entered his church and, and killed him due to his evangelism of, of hundreds of Muslims. He had made many uh, materials and tracts and had made, produced a lot of content, you know, doing apologetics for the Orthodox faith in the face of, of Islam. And he was ultimately killed for that. And sure, he will likely be canonized in the future, but he, and again, he only was killed in 2009. But again, it's one of those things where if it does happen, it likely won't be a particularly grand affair in certain ways, perhaps, because there is a desire to maintain this peace. And sure, the enemies of Russia would definitely seek to exploit, you know, perhaps its soft southern underbelly again and agitate for Islamic uh, extremism and separatism. But that doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge the basic truths that are revealed to us through martyrdom, which is one of the ways that God shows us his holy people and one of the ways that people you know, are able to attain to the kingdom of heaven. And we, of course, can only benefit from recognizing those people and asking for their prayers. That's right. And in such clear examples, such as the life of Evgeny Rodionov and the life of Father Daniel Sosoyev, they do point out that, in fact, the church does need to show certain, you know, signs of bravery. And by church, we mean essentially the clergyman in charge. 
um, these lives these lives show us that there really aren't any barriers towards canonization. And in fact, canonizations in an official sense, while veneration is organic and can be conducted by anyone for anyone, technically, at least anyone within the church, or in you know in reasonable grounds, for example, one should not venerate uh, people who aren't Christian, for example, and raise them up into like a status of sainthood. That would be inappropriate. But for Orthodox Christians who have passed away and who have led pious lives, veneration in a personal, organic sense is only normal and should actually take place. Now, we do that when we, of course, pray for some of our esteemed relatives who've passed away, or even relatives who require those prayers. That is a, a, a certain, in, in some way, perhaps not veneration, but it is related to that. Now, Yevgeny Rodionov and Father Daniel, they meet all the criteria for canonization. So for the church to actually move on this, the Russian, I, I suppose there needs to be a certain cultural uh, push, or at least uh, maybe somebody needs to really speak up about it. It really, the, the reason it hasn't been brought up to this to this day in, in a very explicit form is because the the conversation is always either diluted or diverted away from that. And, you know, the, the conversation really never comes up. We saw, of course, similarities to the canonization of St. Serapim of Sarov, which was delayed by the Russian Imperial Orthodox Church for a very long time, until St. Nicholas II, the Tsar at the time, the secular ruler, as well as the Orthodox Emperor, he emphasized that no, St. Serapim of Sarov does need to be canonized. And it needs to happen very soon. We shouldn't be delaying it just because, you know, perhaps there are some questions which are unanswered or perhaps it upsets certain people. Now, the same was, of course, for the canonization of the Holy um, Romano family, the royal martyrs who were killed by the Bolsheviks in 1918 uh, in, in Russia. Now, these saints were canonized only 80 years after their passing, but their, but their deaths as well as their lives were so pious and they died in, in basically the same fashion as we see Yevgeny Rodionov and Father Daniel Sosoyev as martyrs, as true Christian martyr saints. There's, there should have been no 80-year delay between their passing and canonization. Nevertheless, due to the Soviet and the communist regime in Russia at the time, this, this canonization was delayed, or you could say artificially. Now, whether or not this canonization of Yevgeny Rodionov and Father Daniel Sosoyev are artificially delayed in terms of simply for human will, setting barriers before the canonization, we're not too sure. But my, our suspicion is that, yes, perhaps in order to keep this certain interconfessional, intermulticultural peace in Russia, which, again, there's no statistics and there's no data given to us as to if they were canonized, would this cause, for example, riots equivalent to that of BLM in America? Like, would it actually upset the Muslim people of Russia or would it not affect them at all? Because, frankly, what do Muslims care about the affairs of the Orthodox? And what do the Orthodox care for the affairs of the Muslims or who the local mullahs are or who the, you know, the various uh, esteemed and venerated people in the Muslim community are? These two things really are unrelated here. Again, no one's calling for an interreligious war inside Russia. This is simply the veneration of esteemed Orthodox martyrs of our days. No, it definitely is. And we... I want to make sure that people go to Craig Trulia's channel and check out an interview that he has done with Father Daniel's widow and other people that knew him. It's a really valuable resource. Father Daniel has a lot of works that have now been translated into English. So be sure to avail yourselves of all of that. But yeah, when it comes to the sort of canonization process and all of this, again, for martyrs, it is kind of the most obvious kind of mark of a saint is when someone is literally killed for the faith. And in, in other ways, though, it takes, we've noticed, as Dimitri said, it took the entire destruction of the Soviet Union for the church to be able to openly canonize the, the Tsar and his family. But 